you thought we'd start the show off like that? Birdland BS. Check it out. What's up, Birdland BSers? Fred, Scott, and joining us finally after a couple of weeks off, the redhead himself, Ryan Hewitt. Welcome back, Ryan. Thanks, guys. Appreciate you coming back. It's episode 45, guys, May 15th. A lot of things going on where we've got the the Caps playing good. We've got the Orioles playing good. Uh, The Ravens, there's some drama going on there, so we'll kind of dive into all of those topics, but... uh, before we get into that, Ryan, where the hell have you been these past couple of weeks? We missed you, my friend. <laughs> I'd been, you know, living life. That's all. Yeah. Nothing major. Nice. Work and family, cleaning the house up, dodging Fred. Yeah. No big deal. <laughs> <laughs> that that's that's really the uh, the real reason behind it. Dodging me. No, I get it. <laughs> yeah. You uh you've been keeping up on things. You've been uh, following the, the the Caps and the the Orioles and whatnot <clears throat> lately. I've been following the Caps. Um, I'm I pretty much transitioned from baseball to hockey for the moment. But um, you know that whole West Coast trip that we had and it was horrible. I kind of took a took a break from baseball. But I've been watching this past week or so. I actually, you went and the to rest game. of the city. Yeah. But so uh, it's been it's been a hard time to to be an <clears> Orioles <throat> fan. But uh, you know, the tide has has turned a little bit this week. Uh, you know, I don't think we're gonna wet our pants or get too too excited about it you know it's uh we're still 15 games out of uh, below 500 uh but yeah let's let's let's, let's dive into some exciting news i the, the the caps man i have you know I, i've sat through season after season after season of watching this team play great in the regular season and then choke it away in the playoffs and play nowhere near to their capabilities. You know, this team has always come up short in the playoffs and has always underplayed to what you see on paper. Yes, you know, this this team is by far, I said it last week, is not the best team that they've had in the last four or five years. But they're, they're sure as hell playing like they're it. playing like it, right? They're playing together, cohesive as a unit. I I don't know what your take is on Ryan. I mean have you have you ever seen the Caps play to this kind of level, um, I don't like. I said I just really got into it, but um, yeah, I think once they got past the uh, the Penguins, I think that really elevated them to another level. They basically got how, what's the phrase? You get the monkey off your back, and right. uh, you know how many times have they been eliminated by the Pens, and then you know they've made it to the next level, which they haven't been to in what were they saying 20 years. So I feel like they right. know where they're at and I feel like they're playing to that level because they know they haven't been there. Ovechkin hasn't been there since he's been here. And I think they're just going to take full advantage of the opportunity. Yeah. And I, I think you bring up a good point, especially Alexander Ovechkin, <clears throat> Scott, it, this guy, I mean, he's had what 14 years of playoff frustration and, you know, he's had a lot of critics over the years that, that have really questioned his effort come playoff time. And, 
his ability to really step up and be a leader. Uh, but I think that's uh, kind of the role that we're seeing him oh, he, really portrayed now. He has stepped up uh, in not just against in the Penn series, but he's stepping up in this Lightning series so far. You know, the the Lightning has Lightning games have been, in my opinion, what everybody expected of his team and more. Yeah. You know, the two, first two games of the series, they win game one, they won four to two. Game two, they win six to two. Right. Um, now, today, tonight, you know, we'll see what happens. We'll see see where things go. Um, but Ovi has been playing his, his you-know-what off. <laughs> uh, you know. Team, he, keep it clean. Yeah. he's He's got, he's he, in game one, he had three shots on goals, three hits, a block. And that was all total time on ice, 17 minutes. Yeah. That's a lot to do in 17 minutes. He barely did that in 20 minutes against the Pens. Right. So, you know, he, he's playing really well. And then game two, when you look at game two, game two, Ovi was on his game, game two. And that's, you know, I know it's a little redundant saying game, but the dude had four shots on goals, five hits, a block, and just was ruling the ice in the same 17 minutes. Yeah, it's something that, that I've I've – Always kind of not harped on Ovi about Ovi's a great player, but the one thing that he's always kind of lacked is it seems like, you know, his his ability to kind of get back on defense and, and play both ends of the ice. And we're really seeing him do that and step up and do that. And as a team, they're doing that really, really well. I, I, all the he lines. stopped that icing the other night. I yeah, don't know if you exactly. see you and I were talking yeah. about that. I don't know if you saw that, Ryan. He's he he hauled hauled butt yeah. down the ice. And stop the icing penalty. Like that was that was great. Yeah, and, this is and, a new and new thing. Another, keeping another thing keeping it clean. Think, what's that? Is that new? The language? Are we working on the language? Uh, yeah, I think we're gonna try to. <laughs> I, it, it's really me. Sorry, I'm the I'm the no, the, the one. That's I like it. I'm not gonna play. I just yeah. No, that's well, a. I'll, uh, I'll try and uh, gonna... watch my p's and q's. Or... Really yeah, what, what, you're, what you're trying to keep it PG-13, you know. Just I want the kids to be able to listen. Yeah, get rid of that explicit, you know. Because I know my grandmother is going to cuss. going to not care if I'm going to care if I'm cussing <laughs> on this, but my kid, I do care. <laughs> uh, but one thing that, that I've really, getting back to the Caps, one thing that I've really noticed about this team as a, as a whole that really separates what they're doing this year versus what they've done in the past, I've always said that this team tries to look too much for the perfect shot. They're always making one too many passes and looking for that perfect wide open shot versus just throwing the damn puck. Oh, there I go. Throwing the puck at the net and having somebody there be there for the rebound. Uh, and just the more pucks you take, the more pucks you throw at the net, the more chances you are to score. It doesn't always have to look pretty. It doesn't always have to be the perfect shot, but just throw the puck at the net. And that's one thing that we're really seeing this team do. Oh yeah, their numbers are showing it too. I mean, in in the in game one, I think they had uh, thirty two shots on goal. Game two against Tampa, they had I th- want to say it was thirty seven shots on goal. Right. So they were really ramping it up <laughs> more than people thought they were going to. You know, even in the Penn series, the Penn series, the Pens had more shots on goal in a game where the Caps won. Right. It was six to three in game. Uh, I think it was game four, um, 
or it was game five, game five, game five, it was six to three caps over the pens and they were out shot on shots on goal 32 to 39. Wow. So the pens had more chances and scored less They That was right. a, that was a series in which, okay, looking for the perfect shot is a little bit better, but the, even historically, I don't think they took more than like 20 shots against the pens last year. Right. Yeah, that's the problem is, I mean, even if, you know, the, I only go to a few games a year, obviously, you know, with the, the Caps being in D.C., it's not the most convenient for getting down there for games. So I only go to maybe two games a year if I'm lucky. But, like, that's one thing that always stood out to me every game that I went to was just they seemed to make one too many passes and, and like I said, just pass up, you know, good opportunities to throw in the puck at the net and hoping for the best. And that's one thing. I mean, this team, like I said, I've, I've yet to see this team play at this kind of level and it couldn't be at a better time than now. And, you know, I really want to see them continue to put this kind of pressure on Tampa Bay. Tampa Bay is up against the wall right now. Uh, you know, down 2-0, losing both games at home. Back here in Washington now, now Tampa Bay is leading the game currently one uh, nothing. But, um, yeah, one nothing lead really doesn't mean a whole lot, <laughs> especially with the way that this Caps team has been scoring. Yeah, no. Um, now another thing that, that, that – I've kind of noticed it, it, it's about the Caps' domination, especially in this series, is the five-on-five play. There, when it's five-on-five, the Lightning have only scored one goal in this series. Yeah, no, the, it's it's been all scored off the power play. It's all off the power play, shorthanded goals. So uh, if the Caps can continue that, they shouldn't have a problem putting this team away. Um, I've been pretty surprised with – the lack of, of hustle, you know, the Lightning are typically a fast team, a team that can get back on defense and a team that can outskate the Caps, and we haven't seen that this series at all. No, no. I, I don't. I question if there's any injuries going on that we don't know about. Right. But who knows? Maybe there is. Maybe there's not. I don't know. But either way, go Caps, go. <laughs> Holpe, uh, you know, considering he wasn't even the starting goaltender – Going into the playoffs, you know, Grubauer, I re- I'm old enough to remember when Grubauer was the uh, the starting goaltender uh, <laughs> going into this series. Uh, you know, obviously, Hopi's come in and taken over for him and, and gone back to the Hopi that we know and we all loved and um, done a really, really good job of shutting this team down. Yeah, absolutely. Anything on your end, Ryan? Good with the caps? Yeah, man. I mean, I've been enjoying it. Um, I'm really starting to like the sport. I I was like on Facebook, you know, you can go into your memories and yeah. they show you like posts from way back when. So like in 2012, I, I had a post and it was like, I hope the Caps lose tonight so I can get back to watching baseball. And I guess that's when the Orioles <laughs> were playing really, really how, well. How, but now, <laughs> how sad is this? But I, I believe, The roles are flipped now. <laughs> I believe I yeah. remember that post, Ryan, because – and the only reason I say this is because back then – you hated hockey so much, and you hated the fact that your wife watched it that you only wished that the Caps would lose so that your wife <laughs> didn't want to watch hockey anymore. I remember no, this. I do we remember went, this. We were in – it was like Bill Bateman's on Bel Air Road, and uh, I was, like, trying to watch baseball and then put this damn Caps game on, and I'm like, what the hell is this? I was like, who watches hockey? And then I made that post. So that's what it was. But now I'm a different man, you know. I've changed. I'm, I'm enjoying it. I, I'm – I'm rooting for him. You know, I hopped on the bandwagon. So <laughs> I just thought it was funny. Well, stay, I was like, oh, check that out. <laughs> staying on that high note <clears throat> and uh, something that we really haven't 
had a chance to be high about in the last few weeks, you know, or really since the season started, the Orioles are actually playing better baseball. The team's actually hitting the ball the way they're supposed to, you know, that we all thought that this team was capable of hitting. Uh, there's a lot, you know, that probably plays into that. You know, there's the team finally, you know, starting to get healthy and getting the bats of Jonathan Scope and Mark Trumbo back in the lineup. Obviously, that that's made a difference with this team. But they've won five of their last six. But that really doesn't mean a whole lot when they're still sitting at, what, 13 and 28 yeah. uh, on the season. But it's their first back-to-back series win. So, look, we're going we're gonna to take these small victories – and just hopefully we can keep piling them up and piling them up and maybe play our way back into this thing. I I, I told you what last was week. The, the last series win was against the Yankees, wasn't it? Yeah. Like prior? Yeah. I mean, that their was a last, long time ago. Their last, the last time they won back-to-back series like this was in August of last year. Yeah. <laughs> That's how bad this team has been you know, over the course of the last 162 games, you know, this, this, this whole, you know, people, people look at small sample sizes. Everybody's kind of like, you know, what have you done for me lately type of thing. But when you look at the, a larger sample size of this team and you really look at the last full season, 106 rolling 162 games, this has not been a very good team for a while now. No, no. I mean, they've, they've really fallen apart. What did you see, Ryan? I know you were at the game the other day. I mean, do you see anything different from, you know, the, what they were when they were losing versus the other night? Uh, no. I mean, I was there with a five-year-old or whatever, four-year-old, so I didn't see much of anything. But uh, I'm, I'm being dead serious. I mean, I, I could barely watch the game. I, no, I can, uh, I can totally see it too. But, um, I mean, I just feel like you mentioned it. You got Scope back. You got Trumbo. Um, the other day, record, you know, I think Santander's out of the mix now. He's they've He served as – time that he's needed to for the rule five deal um i just think you have a lot more of what they're used to uh in the clubhouse you know you got some familiar faces back in the mix and i think that's going to help them um obviously machado and mancini are pretty consistent um so i just think you're seeing what they're used to and what they expected to have in place um i really don't know I, i don't know what sparked it um you know, it, it's been up and down, man. Even 17 runs, that was insane. But I feel like the Tampa Bay Rays helped them with that as well. You know, a lot of fielding. Yeah, I, I, uh, think, I think, like and, I said earlier, we need to keep this in perspective, right? Yeah, we won back-to-back yeah. series, but it was against two of the worst teams in baseball. And not that I can say a whole lot because the, <laughs> the Orioles are down there too. <laughs> the Orioles are down in that same let's, realm. Let's not forget Tampa is ahead of us. I know. So. It's, sadly yeah. enough, they are. But look, again, we got to start taking these small victories and just pile them up. I don't care if it's a win against the Yankees or if it's a, get a win against the Rays. A win is a win at this point, and we need a whole lot of them uh, to get better. Yeah. But you brought up a couple of good points, Ryan. And that kind of brings us to something that we want to introduce to the show. And now, a walk in their shoes with Fred and Scott. <laughs> Sounds like somebody's right, humping the desk. What is that? <laughs> 
Uh, it's a new segment, the Birdland BS. Uh, the idea behind it gives us a chance to kind of walk in the shoes of some of the top names in, in Baltimore sports. Um, this week, we decided to, to kind of put ourselves in the shoes of Dan Duquette. And what do we do at this point? Looking at the rest of 2018, preparing for 2019. Now, you got to remember, with Dan Duquette, there's a lot going on here, right? So, he's in his final year of a contract. We've talked about this in the, in the last couple of episodes, that there haven't been any talks that, that have been at least made public of there being any kind of negotiations on re-signing Duquette. And typically you would start hearing those types of things if that was the case. Um, There's a lot of things that can happen between now and next year. You know, we, we talked a lot about seeing some of the young guys really come up now when we, if we can really be honest with ourselves and admit that, are, are we really going to make a run at this this year at being 15 games, even after winning five out of the last six, still being 15 games under 500? Are, is, are we being realistic and saying we even have a shot in getting back into this? Probably not, right? So what do we do? Difficult. Is it time now to really start looking at some of the younger guys and evaluating what we have in the system? Because there's a lot of things that – that are going to happen. And obviously the big thing is, is, is the trade talks with, with Manny Machado and how fast that kind of happens. And you know, whether that's something that happens over the next couple of weeks, I know uh, Duquette's made it public that his day is Memorial day. And that'll be the first time he really sits down and evaluates the roster and maybe ways to make adjustments with the roster and that type of thing. But the thing I think that kind of gets missed is what's going to happen in 2019. So in 2019, there are a lot, a lot of big contracts that are going to be coming off the books next year, especially if Manny Machado's gone. There's what, 16 million, I think, or 17 million that's vested in, in, in Manny this year that's off the books. Adam Jones is in his last year of his contract. Are we trading him and getting some pieces back now? That's almost um, 18 million off the books. There's almost 18 million off the books next year. Mark Trumbo, we've got one more year of him, but that's after 19. There's another 13 million that comes off the books there. Um, I believe uh, Zach Britton, he's another guy that's going to come off the books. He's in an arbitration type deal, and I think he's getting 16 million or 12 million this year. Um, so there's a lot of money. Just between those couple of guys, there's probably about thirty-five to forty million dollars that's coming off the books from what they're spending this year. So we 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 talked again about bringing up some of the younger guys, evaluating what we have, but we need to remember we've also we're also going to go into an off season with a decent amount of money to spend. That we don't have to have these young guys plug in for starting roles. But if they are, we need to look at what they have and what they have now while we have a season to basically burn. Yeah, I mean, for me, I think you do. It's not the popular opinion, but I do agree with Dan. I think it's 
April was a bad month. It was a bad month. But here's the deal. It's seven out of 92 teams have had a bad month and a bad start in April. So bad as the Orioles did. Seven of 92 that have started that way have made it to the playoffs. So here's my only my only thought process. It's doable. None of those teams has actually won a championship. So that is an interesting statistic. But they have made it to the playoffs. And making it to the, flip, the playoffs is the first piece. But I think before you get there, I think May is an evaluation. If, if they turn around, and let's say in May, they have the complete opposite. Like they're starting to do. If they finish May, I'll, I'll say with above 750. That would be that would be immaculate for you know for a month. Be a pretty damn good achievement considering how bad they played. Exactly. But if they if they finish the month 750, I mean I'd like to hear your take, Ryan. I I think I don't think you I think you're reassessing things. I think yeah, you then have you, to wait maybe for June. If you do that, yeah, obviously. But the likelihood of that happening are probably slim to none. So. Well, let me let me simplify something for you, and I'll get both of your opinions on this because you you guys crazy. already kind of know know my opinion on this. If you're Dan Duquette, Ryan, I'll, I'll start with you. So if you're Dan mm-hmm. Duquette and you're not thinking as a fan, you're thinking as Dan Duquette, just simply Manny Machado. What do you do? Do you make a move now? Do you wait a couple of weeks and see what happens with the team in the next couple of weeks? Do you wait as far as the deadline or do you not do anything at all and you're all in on this season? I make a move now. Yeah. And why? What's uh, what's your reasoning behind it? You're You've had Manny for the past couple years playing well and you haven't done anything with him. Mm-hmm. And with a start this bad moving forward I don't feel like you're going to do anything this year or I don't feel like the Orioles are going to do anything so I feel like you get whatever value you can for this guy unless I plan on re-signing him somehow some way and if I'm Duquette that's I don't you know everyone thinks he's going to go somewhere else but nobody's really talking about it outside of the fact that Manny says you know nobody's made any offers so I don't know. I feel like you get rid of the guy, you get what you can for him because you're not going to get anything. It, the value just drops. I mean, I wanted to do it back at the winter meetings. So, I just Well, like I, I, I 100% he's, he's agree with you. And just kind of elaborating a little bit more to back okay. you up, I think that, we, Scott, we, we said this the other night, strike while the iron's hot, right? So okay. you're not going to get any – higher in value with Manny Machado than you're going to get right now. He's leading the major leagues in RBIs, home runs. He's right up there in the tops with, with average. This is the most productive Manny Machado that we've ever seen, right? You've got some teams that are, that are desperate and would probably pay top dollar in prospects for a guy like that. We've, we've brought up the case for the Dodgers and the, the, the situation that they're in. The Cubs are out there holding their hand up. Don't forget about us. We still want him. 
The Cardinals have been mentioned before. Cardinals have been mentioned. I've even heard the Braves being mentioned recently because they've been playing so well and they're stock full of prospects. So I'm turn I'll turn it over to you, but I'll leave you with this. So if you the risk that you run by not cashing in now is a slumping Manny Machado. If over the next two to three weeks, Manny Machado falls off the face of the earth and falls into this pit of not being able to hit like the rest of his teammates have done for the first month and a half of the year, your trade value diminishes significantly because that's just a bargaining chip that another team has is, well, he's, you know, he's not performing at the at the level that he once was. So yeah, we're not going to give you our top tier talent. We'll give you our second tier talent for him. What's your take on it, Scott? If I'm putting my Dan Duquette hat on, I'm waiting. wearing shoes. We're talking shoes here today. <laughs> You're in his shoes. Sorry. Wrong apparel. Wrong apparel. <laughs> he doesn't even wear a hat in my weird head of his yeah no, <laughs> uh, if i'm putting myself in his shoes if i'm wearing his his clogs for today or i'm sorry wait no he wears those white sneakers those white and black sneakers all the time i thought, guy. <laughs> I thought he, he maybe wore crocs he looks like a croc guy <laughs> he looks like a croc guy <laughs> i played softball in crocs one time i wear I, I have a pair of crocs they're actually <laughs> kind of comfortable <laughs> I, I love mine i'm not gonna lie um if if i'm putting my dad duquette crocs on I am going to I'm going to hold, and I I look I completely agree with what both of you guys are saying. That's but, why you're getting fired at the end of the season. So, <laughs> <laughs> let's see. Okay, we're, before you get into detail, and, I, and this this is why I want you to come back at me. So, if you if you're going to say you're going to hold out, you're really putting a risk at on your job, right? Because you know you don't have a contract with any team, including the Orioles, your current team after this year. So this decision that you make and how you set this team up for further success in the future is really going to dictate or have a big part in dictating maybe another team and their interest in you. So just keep that in mind when you're, you know, making your decision to wait. You want to know why I'm waiting? Because I think the conversation has already been had. I think Angelos isn't willing to sign a check. That's not going to happen. I think Duquette knows that. As far as signing Manny to signing a future Manny deal? To a future deal. And okay, so we all agree to that. I think we're all on the same page with right. that. Manny's and, not and, and the back clear here. indication of that is no offer on contract extension. So when you're not willing to offer a guy a contract extension, you're not willing to, to show, in my opinion, investment. And I think the player is going to look at it the same way. I feel like Manny feels that. But if if I'm Dan right now, Yes, am I risking him falling into a slump? Maybe. But what I am pending on is as we get deeper into the season, I get more interest. Yes, there are some there's some are some teams with an immediate need. But it's too early in the season to know if those teams are going to be teams that actually are going to need him. Think but that's of, a risk too. That's a risk that you're saying. And I, I just, don't, I don't think the teams are willing to take that risk. You'd have to give up to to take Manny right now. We are going to be asking for your top, I'll say two, if not three or more prospects, including some probably cash consideration. Uh, you know, maybe some other stuff. There, there's going to be a lot to that deal. But I think if I'm Dan Duquette, I'm holding out longer because 
excuse me, because I'm saying the market increases the closer we get. Here's the deal. You can have a guy on your team that is stellar shortstop, right? But let's say the Rockies are in it somehow when it comes time for the trade deadline. It's looking like they could make a run. Tell me the Rockies wouldn't give up a decent amount of guys to make a run at the playoffs that they haven't made in quite a few years to have Arenado and Machado, two of the top, technical two of the top third basemen in the game. But now you have the top third baseman and potentially the top shortstop in the game. But let me let me let me throw that back at you, right? So do you honestly think that the Rockies after this season are going to be players in the Manny Machado market? No, and that's exactly why he's he's a rental, but you're willing to give it to to get to that point because as a rock as the Rockies, your your ability and your payroll you, you're not going to have the payroll. You're not going to be able to compete with the payroll of the Dodgers. You're not going to be able to pe- compete with the payroll of the Cubs. You're not going to be able to compete with the payroll of the of the Cardinals. You're not going to be able to compete. So, so you have to do those things. So if you get a rental, if you have a shot, you go you, all in and mortgage your mortgage your minor league system for a rental that you know you don't have a shot at signing afterwards. So so you're a team that you're admitting. Just talking about the Rockies here. You're a team. This is all you're theoretical, a, by the way. Yes, yeah, so I'm just throwing. I just threw a name out there. So you're you're just saying you're you're looking at a team that you know has no shot at signing this team this player long term. So they're in a smaller market. They don't really. They're not big spenders. They're a team that builds from within. Now you're depleting your minor league system to go all in on one season. A team like that. You're not going to be able to get the big names that are going to be able to get you. When's the last time you heard, outside of Arenado, who's the last Rocky you can remember? No, you're right. I mean, it's been a long time. Since I can tell you his been... name, and he's, he, it's Charlie Blackman, and he wasn't he wasn't a top name for right. that long. Right. You know, it's look, the, the Rockies, I'm just throwing a name out there. But what I'm saying is, there as you grow, the market becomes stronger to go after a guy like Machado. You know, Machado hasn't shown a long-term slump, right? He's never shown a season where he goes in a slump for four or five months, you know, like a Davis, like a Trumbo. Right. He hasn't shown that. There's no indication that's going to happen this year. Yes, could it happen? Absolutely. But the likelihood of that happening is far outweighed by the waiting to get more prospects. And if you you basically, it's smart in my opinion, to go a little bit further and wait a little longer to take that risk because he hasn't proven that that's a, possi- a true possibility. And then I increase what I can get in return. If I've got four teams bidding for Manny Machado, I can pick what I want. Okay, but I'm going to, all right, I'm going to flip the whole situation around for you because I, I'm, like I said, I'm on the opposite end of the fence here as far as how I see this whole thing. So <clears throat> if we're just talking about facts, everything that you just stated, there's a lot of what ifs and possibilities and things that could happen or things that might not happen and all that stuff. That's all hypothetical stuff. It could happen. Maybe we'll have that many teams. We know what we have right now, right? One of the teams that has interest in Manny right now 
is a team that will absolutely be in the bidding for Manny Machado at the end of next season. That being the Dodgers, right? You know that Manny Machado is playing at an ungodly pace right now. Higher than he's on a better pace than he's ever been in his entire career. That's a fact. So you've got a team that's interested in him and has the potential to sign him long term. And you've got Manny Machado playing at his peak. So the trade value is at its highest. What team are you referencing, by the way? Talking about the Dodgers. Okay. Why wouldn't you try to work out a deal with the Dodgers because you know the Dodgers would want it and you know the Dodgers are going to give you a little bit more now because they get three quarters of a season of Manny to help turn their season around. So they got three quarters of a season to help turn it around and three quarters of a season to help Manny fall in love with LA and fall in love with the organization and give them those that three quarters of a season to kind of court Manny into signing a deal with them long term. Let me ask you a question. The Dodgers, going back to your point with um, the Rockies, just using the Rockies as an example, the Rockies are a team that you know have to build from within and rely on having top prospects perform to be competitive. The Dodgers are not that. The Dodgers can go out and buy pieces, right? So they don't value prospects as much as a team like the Rockies do. So they're going to be willing to give you more. And right now you're going to get as much as you possibly can because you get to get him longer and you've got him at his best. Do you agree with that, Ryan? Or what, what do you what do you kind of feel with that, Ryan? I feel like if the Dodgers were interested, you'd, you'd already hear something about it outside of the media because that was brought up right away once, uh, what was it, Corey Seager went down. Right. But, yeah, I I, <clears throat> I think that that could be the case, and it'd be nice if it was, but it obviously hasn't happened. And you haven't heard anything outside of the first week where Seager got, you know, taken out. So I, I just don't think that the interest is there from the Dodgers. Or is it prospect. the fact that Dan Duquette is shooting it down? Is it well, Dan Duquette saying, well, we're going to wait out a couple more weeks. Come talk to us after Memorial Day. Yeah, or I always feel it, like the Orioles are, are slow to pull the trigger on every move. Um, right. And that's something I, I've never really liked. I feel like they like to wait around and get the scraps and find the diamond in the rough or however you want to word it. Um, but I just I'll be glad when he's gone, man. Uh, here's my thought if I'm the let me ask you guys I'm going to put this to you hypothetical we've got money no doubt about it Orioles have money we just don't always spend it if we're 16 and 24 right now are we buyers are we answer 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 the question honestly if we're 16 and 24 are we buyers right now if we're 16-24 right now, are we buyers? No. Ryan? No. no. Guess what? The Dodgers are 16-24, of 24 and they've lost their last four straight games. They are not buying somebody like Manny Machado as a rental player. Yes, I understand what you're saying about, you know, it gives him, it gives them a little bit more time with him, but it's not something. That's a huge risk. That is a huge risk. Yes, you have the ability to do that, but you better be prepared. 
and to, as a Dodger, hold on a second. As the Dodgers GM, you better be prepared to be bidding against New York, and you're gonna lose that battle every mm-hmm. time. New York will not hesitate to have Stanton judge Machado. That will happen if they get the chance, and I don't doubt that it will. I, I don't doubt. I don't doubt that the Yankees are gonna be. They're definitely going to be players in the Manny Machado sweepstakes, but you're kidding yourself if you don't think the Dodgers are. The Dodgers have just as much money as, as New York, if not more. The amount of money that they make just on TV deals and revenue on, from TV alone is insane if you look at the numbers. But to your point, the Dodgers at 16 and 24, comparing that to the Orioles being 16 and 24 in the AL East are apples and oranges. The, the Dodgers are not in a very strong division. Even at 16-24, and 24, they're only seven and a half games out of their division right now. So for the Dodgers, they've got some people coming back from, from injury, and you add a guy like Manny Machado to your lineup, you're talking a totally different-looking team. And, and this team is, is just definitely underperforming at this point at 16-24. Oh, yeah, no, so, you know... <clears throat> It's it's kind of hard to compare the situations, like I said, between the AL East uh, and and you know the NL West. So I don't know if if I'm if I'm I'm just talking the Orioles. You you're if regardless if it's the Dodgers, regardless if it's the Tampa Bay Rays that you're talking to, I don't care who they're talking to. I think it's more important to strike now because you're not going to get more value for Manny than you will right now because he's he's playing out of this world. And I don't want to see them hang on to him for another month hoping that he'll still be playing at this level and hoping that there will be, you know, more teams waiting around and looking, you know, to add a player like Machado. And then what if that doesn't happen? What if Manny Machado hits the, you know, hits the slide and gets goes into a slump. And you know, like I said, we're sitting in a situation where we're kind of giving them away for a lot less than what we could get them, you know, what we could have got for him. Look, now. I think it's, I think it's a risky take, but I think he's, he's proven himself that he doesn't get into those slumps. He's a hitter. He's a, you know, he's a, he's a, he's a raw, he's a raw talent guy. You know, there are guys out there that have hit, that have hit slumps. Manny isn't one of those yet. Could he be absolutely. And yes, that is a risk that you are taking. But I think the potential reward to have a bidding war for prospects, you could have, you could literally have your pick from the top teams if you if you waited out just long enough. And I think Dan's got it right. I think you reassess at at Memorial Day. I think you I think you waited out, and come June first, you start fielding the phone calls. But you also reassess where you're at. Look, I'm not saying the Orioles are turning around this this season by any means. But again, if they go. 750 on the month of May. I might be waiting a few more weeks before I, I I'm feeling I'm feeling fielding the phone calls, but something's got to be like an immaculate piece if it's that a were big to happen. If. It, it it's all big ifs. That's that's why, that's why we're putting ourselves in their shoes. I mean, they get they get paid to they get to pl- they literally get paid. Every GM gets played to gets paid to play the the what if game. And they have a lot more information than we do. Oh, yeah. Absolutely. <laughs> We're giving away guess. Uh, you know. Absolutely. Well, we had brought up last week um, the, the fact that, you know, maybe now is a good time to kind of evaluate some of the younger talent that we talked about, you know, some of the younger pitchers. I told you I didn't want to see Chris Tillman throw another pitch in an Oriole uniform. Um, that didn't work out. Well, 
we got him to the uh, the old Abaldo pothole in the clubhouse. You know, he's on the DL again. Um, Brian, how many times have we asked you to fill that pothole in for us, please? <laughs> no, in this case, dig that hole deeper uh, for Tillman, man. I'd break a leg in there. And while you're something. at it, push Mike right down it. Yeah. Uh, but we got to see one of the guys that I was clamoring about on last episode, uh, David Hess, come up and, and make his uh, starting debut uh, and pitched really well. I mean, you know, he came in, was a little, I think he had, it was a little bit. Nerves, nerves were, up. were up, yeah, and he, he was kind of a little erratic in the zone, really couldn't – had a hard time finding the mitt and that kind of thing and left some balls up. And, you know, obviously he paid for that but giving up three runs in the first, but really settled in uh, and and had a, a really good quality start. Yeah, it was a, it was definitely a solid start for him. I think it, it really showed, um, you know, he, he, had, he had no control, no consistent control in the first inning, uh, but then kind of really settled down, wound up pitching – you know, six innings, giving up six, six hits, three earned runs, three strikeouts, uh, the one homer. You know, he pitched well. For his first outing, he pitched well. And then Tanner Scott came in and kept it kept it close. One hit in one and a third, um, one strikeout. But he just was – he was ground ball on it. You know, he was getting the outs. And then he had a few, few pop-ups as well. Um, and then Givens finally coming in and shutting the door on him. Um, it looked it looked good. It was a good game. What's your take on it, Ryan? Are you glad to see some of the younger guys getting a shot in the rotation? Yeah, I mean that's at this point. I know there's a lot of season left, but I kind of want to see the young guys come up and play, and and they kind of show us what we have um, right. as far as prospects go. I thought it was great, and like you said, the kid pitched great. Uh, he did get that one three run homer early on, but his pinch count was was pretty good, and. Uh, like you said, quality start from that guy. So I was real happy with that. Yeah, and and, and to your credit, you know, I you you had clamored uh, for Tanner Scott for a little while in the beginning of the year. I thought that that was a guy that really should have made the club uh, out of spring training. Uh, my one thing with Tanner Scott though is, man, he's got a lot of uh, a lot of Randy Johnson in him to me. When I watch him pitch, I, I don't know if it's just because. You know, he's a big, tall, lanky pitcher, and he throws almost 100 mile an hour like Randy Johnson had in him. But I, I want to see him stretched back out into being a starting pitcher. I don't want to see him delegated to the bullpen because we don't have maybe a, you know, a starting starting spot for him on the roster. Like, I'd like to see him get a few spot starts and see what he can do. If Castro's in any indication, that's not going to happen. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, Castro, Castro, we said the same. We all, all three of us said the same thing about Castro before that they should have stretched him out. Yeah. It didn't happen. And I think you're going to see that Tanner Scott do the same thing. I I mean, I think you're going to get the, the knee-jerk reactions with Hess, too, the up-and-down stuff. Put him up. DFA right. At this point, you got Tillman on the dis- disabled list. Keep Hess up here. Oh, it, yeah. Putting these guys, you know, to to use the, the 105.7, the fan uh, – usual statement stop putting these guys on the norfolk shuttle yeah right you know they they love using that statement and that's mm-hmm. you got to stop doing it yeah especially with a guy like that i mean he's he's proven he can pitch uh you know he's done he's pitched to the you know a mid two era in his time in triple a you know he, like i told you last week if he comes up and pitches a four and a half five run era that's better than the nine run era that T- tillman's been pitching so i'll take that 
at this point, man. Let the kid get his bumps. He's got to learn at some point. 24 years old. He proved that he can do it. You know, let him, let him, let him go take his bumps. I don't want to see a, a washed-up Tillman trying to find the pieces and put it back together. It's just, you know, that, that's a, that a ship that needs to sail away. And, you know, he was, <laughs> he was a good trade piece in that Bedard, you know, trade that we got with Adam Jones and everything. And he pitched, you know, some good years for us. But uh, he, he obviously, he's lost something. He fell Bedard-esque. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. <laughs> exactly. But we'll see, man. Um, I'm excited. I, like I said, I, I, I really I do want to see some of these younger guys come up, even some of the younger outfielders. I do want to see uh, Austin Hayes at some point get a shot at playing up here. I want to see um, Cedric Mullins get a shot at playing up here. Um, glad to see that, that Santander uh, was sent back down to double A, and, you know, he can work on his Santander. swing down there. I, yeah, Santander. Um but yeah, just just good to see some of the younger guys finally getting a shot uh, at playing. So, Ryan, we um, we talked last week. We're gonna switch gears here and, and and get into some some Ravens talk. Call. I wanna I wanna kind of get a a genuine answer and response from you. You and I have not really had a chance to talk since the draft, so I no. really don't know. A whole lot of your, you know, your feelings on on how the draft went, um, but obviously we we all kind of know the end results. We know what you know. The Ravens ended up trading back in the first round and picking up a quarterback. And the the big news and the big talk going around right now is when does Lamar start? When does Lamar, you know, get the nod? And and how short is Flacco's leash? We Scott and I got into it a little bit last week, and we'll kind of elaborate a little bit on it here. But I want to see what your opinion is first. How short do you think Joe Flacco's leash is this year? Um, with, uh, I, I think with, he'll you know, with Lamar sitting behind him. Yeah, I think he will start, and um, I don't think you'll have any issues until they really get into a position where it makes sense to play Lamar. Like if. You know, Flacco goes out there and he lays an egg, or we lose like four games in a row. I I don't really think you have a good shot of seeing Lamar Jackson this year, unless we get into a position where we think we're, you know, we don't have a shot. Kind of similar with the Orioles, um, where they finally like say, okay, this shit's uh, this stuff's over. Um, let's move on. But I think you're. It's hard to say because. But Shotty came out and he said all that stuff prior to the draft and everything, and then they went out and they drafted a quarterback after he said Joe's our guy and yada yada yada. But um, right, I I feel like you're getting two different stories. Like you hear something from uh, Ozzy, and then you hear a different story from um, DaCosta. So I really don't know, but I, I do think they'll let Joe run his course this year unless he gets injured or something I think he'll play the majority of the year I don't think you'll see Lamar Jackson too much this year unless we get into a really bad spot where we're down like one and four early on in the season okay so you you think maybe the leash on Flacco might be four or five games then so if if the if the Orioles the Ravens come in (laughs) and throw up a couple eggs in the first four weeks of the year do you, you think that he'll get a shot at playing at that point? Maybe. I, I mean, if we go down 0-4 or 1-4, I think 
and Flacco comes out there the next game and, and he's looking like crap, yeah, I think you might see Lamar. I'm, I think he might get benched, but I don't. I don't foresee that happening. I think Flacco they'll they'll play probably around 500 early on in the season, and then um, we'll be in a similar situation we were last year, where we basically get into a playoff game before the playoffs start. Like, hey, we need to win this to get to the next right. level. But um, I don't know. I don't know if I don't know enough about Lamar Jackson. I didn't watch his football career uh, through college, but um, I don't know that he's ready yet. And I don't know that the Ravens are ready for that kind of offensive player yet either. I think that's why they brought in RG3. Uh, I think they need to make adjustments on the coaching staff in order to be a good fit for Lamar. So I'm curious to see how that goes. And, Scott, you had made comments last week that you thought that the leash on Flacco would be as short as two games. You know, if if Mm. the uh, Ravens come in and lay eggs the first two weeks of the season that, you know, you might see Lamar – come in and, and take over for Flacco's role, do you still stand behind that or do you change your stance or what? I think I still stand behind it. Um, and with the news, and obviously everything kind of gets blown out of proportion with media, um, but with the with the news, it's got to Joe, – Joe's got to come out with it. The news came out that Lamar – they were trying to work on some schemes and how to fit him in. You know, and that tells me they're they're already trying to get him in a position. You will see. We don't know in what role yet, but you will see Lamar Jackson on the field in a play live game wow. during the season. Oh yeah, no, I a hundred percent agree with that. I I stated that last week. I think that there will be a Lamar Jackson, even RG three package i i really think that this team's going to end up carrying all three quarterbacks something that this team hasn't really done traditionally um and there will be a lamar jackson package and i think that even could be implemented week one you know you might not see 10 plays from lamar week one but you might see you know if the if the ravens are trailing or they've got like a third and long or something like that they might bring in lamar and and have some sort of package where he goes on a run or something like that, you know, just to kind of get him, you know, acclimated to the speed of the game and that kind of thing. Oh yeah. They'll, they'll get him out there, but I do stand behind my, my Joe Flacco short leash of two games. If they go out in the first two games, it will be seriously considered for him benching the third game. Mm -hmm. And I, you know, if, if not the third, then definitely if they go out and put up another goose egg, Oh, and three, with goose eggs on offense, if your defense is what's keeping you in the game, it's not going to happen. You know, you're going to want to see what can Lamar do. And, you know, yes, he could be, he's more of your future quarterback and maybe it's RG three that gets in there first. Right. But Joe Flacco is on a, in a on a short leash. Um, you know, I think Bashadi's coming out and saying Joe's our quarterback because multiple reasons. A, he has taken them to a Super Bowl. Uh, mind you, this was an interesting point brought up by Colin Coward actually yesterday. Last time Joe Flacco was in a contract year, they got a Super Bowl. Yeah, well, guess what this year is? <laughs> yeah, no, I know. And yeah, how I many years ago point, was that? <laughs> yeah, I, I made this point last last week is Flacco plays his best football when the pressure is on the most. Again, 
think Steelers games, think Patriot games, think playoffs, think that, like you said, contract year. Anytime the play, the, the pressure is on, he seems to step up to the pressure. It's when he's playing the Browns and when he's, you know, just kind of playing these mediocre teams that you see a, a mediocre or even below below average Joe. Um, All the more reason, though, to, to sit for him to sit if – he starts off 0-3. The pressure isn't hot enough for him at that point. I think you sit him, and it may not be for the rest of the season, but he's going to get sat for a game or a, a half. Well, here's the I I personally, I don't see the Ravens starting 0-3 in any sort of way. I, I, I just can't see this team starting off that bad. But if the Ravens – the minute Joe Flacco makes a mistake, week one – the minute Joe Flacco makes a mistake, the fans are going to start. I mean, right away. It's not going to take long for the fans to start chanting, the fans to start clamoring to get, you know, Jackson in there. That's just the way the Baltimore fan base is. You know, we it's a lot of fan bases, though. It's not just Baltimore. Yeah, but we we seem to to like to run people out of town very, very quickly in comparison to some other play. You know, we take what's happened in the past for granted. Uh, a lot and and Flacco seems to get a lot of heat. Um, what have you done for me now? Now what I have get you done that. For me lately, <laughs> I get that, but I don't think the leash is that short on Flacco. I, I I think developing Lamar Jackson properly is more detrimental and more important to this team moving forward because the last thing that you want to do is set this kid up for failure and throw him in too early into the mix when he's not ready to be out there. Like I I said last week, this isn't just a learning curve for him. This is a learning curve for the entire offense. Everything about this offense when you go from Flacco to Lamar Jackson changes. The blocking schemes for the offensive line, the routes that the, the wide receivers are running, the play calling. I mean, everything changes. So it's not just a seamless transition from one quarterback to another. It, there's, there's all sorts of things that change in an offensive game plan with those two different types of quarterbacks. So if I don't think the team nor Lamar would be ready week two or week three, even if the Ravens go out there and lay eggs and, and end up at 0-2 or 0-3. I hate to tell you, but they better be prepared week one. Because if something were to happen to Joe Flacco week one, you need that. You If you want to win week one without Joe Flacco in there, these guys have to know what to do if Lamar or RG3 it, comes into the game. There's no it's gonna be. It's They will. They, they, there's got to be a plan in place, but it's going to be a simplified playbook. You're, you know, right now – the offense and Marty Morningwig have had a season and a half together really to to work together, right? So they pretty much know the entire Marty Morningwig playbook, you know, the, the offense, right? Which who knows how big or how small that playbook is, you know. Um, but with, again, with this different, you know, it's not like they had RG3 last year and they had a chance, you know, for a full season to work in practice with, a, you know, a different type of quarterback. They didn't have it. They had Ryan Mallett. Ryan Mallett was a pocket passer just as much as Joe Flacco was. So he's running the same offense that Joe was. So there will be a plan, a contingent, an emergency plan in place if something happens. Because you got to have a reason. If Flacco gets hurt, you got to have 
something together for, you know, for a replacement. Uh, but I think that replacement first is RG3. And I think it's a, a more simplified offense. You might see a 10 or 15 play playbook versus, you know, a hundred different plays, that type of thing. So it's a much more simplified offense, a much more condensed offense. But, you know, like I said, I, I really think, and I truly believe that the push of having a Lamar Jackson behind Joe Flacco is going to elevate Joe Flacco's play. I really do. I think that that puts that pressure on him to step up and perform because he's never had to worry about his job in the past ever. He's never had anybody beaten down the door. He's never had a quarterback drafted in the first round behind him. Like this is all new to him. Yeah, but you got you got to be looking over at Tyrod Taylor right now and going, "Damn." Well, yeah, but <laughs> Tyrod was never going to be the starter here. Flacco was our guy. He won the Super Bowl, and you know that's the oh, whole yeah. reason that Tyrod left is he knew he wasn't going to get a shot at playing here. Yeah, exactly. So, I don't know, Ryan. I mean, what's your take on that? Do you think? Flacco can elevate you think do you think Flacco elevates his play this year or do you think we just kind of know what Joe is and Joe's going to be Joe um I hope it I hope he elevates his play he looked scared when the whole Colin Kaepernick thing came up like a season ago Uh, yeah um I agree so now that this kid's in here it it obviously he didn't want Kaepernick here I think he was it was pretty obvious but um you know this guy's a rookie and I think his the plan for him is to be under Joe when to learn something. And I think uh, based on what I've heard in the media with Joe not responding to his texts or whatever, I think it basically goes to show you that Joe is is there to compete. You know, he's, he's not looking to train his replacement. And I think you will see a different, more aggressive, more serious Joe or just have a shitty, a crappy attitude all season. Before um, we get too far away from what you just stated, the whole texting and not responding thing, let, let me just clear the air on that really, really quickly because this is driving me crazy. I did a I did an instant reaction video about it the other day just because it was it was driving <laughs> me crazy. So, first of all, that's because Fred there, never responds there have, to text. <laughs> there have been no confirmed reports that Flacco has texted Lamar or Lamar has reached out to Joe. Nothing has been confirmed about any of that. So this whole, well, Joe's not responding to, you know, Lamar and he's upset and yada, yada. It's all the media making something to do out of nothing. Come on, it's media. I don't Didn't know, you man. Know if, it, if it nothing's been said that it hasn't happened, that means it could have happened. If, if not, this hasn't happened, bonkers. apparently it happened in uh, Pittsburgh and Ben went out and said something back to the guy and that squashed it, but Joe's just letting us go. So I think he's, he's making, but that's my point. Ben Roethlisberger came out and talked about it and he admitted that, you know, he wasn't happy when the, the, the Steelers drafted a quarterback that he felt like they could have used that third round pick and got something better to help the team today versus in the future. And, you know, he, he was very public about that. Joe Flacco hasn't come out and said anything to anyone he hasn't talked to any reporters. Literally, there was scared. an article. There was an article that was written that mentioned. It's, I'm not going to throw the name out there of who it was or anything like that because that's not what I'm about. But the article mentioned. Well, it doesn't matter if Flacco's returning text or not returning text or making phone calls or not making phone calls. It was that's all it was. It was simply a writer writing an article about you know doesn't matter. 
And somebody took that and took those words and said, oh, Flacco's not returning Lamar Jackson's text messages. And it blew up into this whole big media thing. Uh, pump the brakes. Like, slow down with it. Like, hey, uh, again. He's scared. Don't be Flacco. Don't be He's scared. I said it. I said it last week, and and I, I still I still believe it. Flacco is a nine to fiver man. He doesn't go above and beyond. He never has been. He never has in any part of his game. He's never been a go above and beyond type guy, and that's just what he is. And we accept that it, it, as fans, or we don't accept it. You know, and that's why he's not elite, right? He he doesn't have that drive to want to be great, and he never has. He's Cash just paycheck. average Joe. That's what he is. If I made a hundred some million, I would have done retired. I've been done. Right. <laughs> right. Exactly. <laughs> but um, one of the things that uh, I think this draft kind of has me excited about with this offense moving forward, um, we haven't really dove into this too much yet. I mean, we obviously went over the draft picks and our, you know, our thoughts with these guys, but the fact that the Ravens used two of their draft picks and two of their you know, top draft picks uh, to go after tight ends, you know, with taking Hayden Hurst in the first round and Mark Andrews, uh, I believe in the third or fourth round, uh, they got two of the top tight ends in this draft. My curiosity with this, especially with how much Flacco loves to use the tight ends and loves pass catching tight ends, which these guys are, could we see maybe a dual tight end formation a la the Patriots back in the day when they used Gronk and Hernandez, you know, Gronk, Gronk and Hernandez at one time were a one a and one B tight end. There really wasn't, you know, tight end one and tight end two. They were one a and one B. I think the, that that kind of excites me, you know, the thought of maybe having two good pass catching tight ends out on the field at the same time in that same way. What's your take on that, Scott? Do you do you think that that could be possibilities? I definitely think that's a possibility. Um, it just and, I, and I'm curious to wait and see what happens in training camp. But everybody and you and I talked about this last week mm-hmm. about Lamar Jackson lighting up when he was talking when they were talking about Hayden Hurst and Mark Andrews. Mm-hmm. Um, I think they're huge potential options to have both on the field at the same time. Both guys have the ability to go deep. Mm-hmm. Both guys have the ability to cut across the middle. The big thing that both guys need to work on, and they're going to have to work on, is defending and playing against the run. Or, you know, with the run. You know, being able to block and be a blocking tight end because both those guys are gonna have to have that role. Well, the the one thing that I think we heard out of the draft was that. Hayden Hurst, the reason he was kind of rated as the top tight end in this draft was his ability to play all around. He had the ability to be a run-blocking tight end. He had the ability to be a pass-catching tight end. Um, you know, And obviously his size and his stature and his speed set him apart from the rest of the tight end class. That's the one question with Mark Andrews is Mark Andrews and the Oklahoma offense was a, a wide-open offense. You know, he kind of – he ran – you know, out in the slot a lot. He ran out wide sometimes as a tight end, you know, so he's not used to playing in tight on the line and having to block. As a matter of fact, from what I've heard in in previous interviews that he did was that he wasn't a big fan of being a blocking tight end. 
so I agree. I think that that is one area, especially for Andrews, that he has to focus on on working on. But I just think the 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 concept of having two tight ends out there for Flacco, you know, as as much as he's done with Todd Heap when he had Heap, and then Pitta yeah. when he had Pitta. Now you put two good pass-catching tight ends out on the field at the same time. I don't know about you, Ryan, but to me, I like the sound of that. You? Sounds good to me, man. I'm I'm curious to see what they can do. You know, I one of the stats with uh, Hayden Hurst I saw was like he had like one drop pass. Yeah. Like in college, and I was like, man, what's that like? <laughs> yeah, right? <laughs> <laughs> I was just curious, uh, you know, I saw that and you know, he looks like he's got good hands and um, bring that I know, up. You don't, go ahead. One one of the things just cuz you brought that up real quick. He actually admitted apparently during the training camp he had a few drop balls. <laughs> he did. Yeah, I heard that. Yeah, I did hear that. I was watching some of the videos cuz the Ravens were putting out like little production films that they put together and um he he said that and I was like, "Oh, don't say that." But um <laughs> Another thing I noticed, getting back off of the tight ends and going to Lamar Jackson, does that guy throw like a normal spiral, or does he always have like it's like a like a it's wobble fun. to it? Every it's funny pass you bring I saw, that up. I was it's like, funny you this? bring that up because that, that's that was one of the things that I noticed too, especially in those <clears> same video clips that you're talking about that they had kind of put together. It seemed like every pass he threw mm-hmm. had a little bit of a wobble to it or a little bit of a duckness to it. Um, yeah, and and I'll say this, and and I think that's. That's with every quarterback. The, the the difference in a college football to an NFL football, it, it's a big adjustment. Um, yeah, it's it's a different shape to it. Uh, college football, I don't know if you've ever actually held like a an official college football and an official NFL football in your hands. They're shaped totally different. A college football is almost – it's rounder. It's fatter in the middle. And an and a NFL football is a little bit elongated um, and narrower in the middle. The so, seams feel different, too, if you've ever yep, felt them. The seams are thinner on an, on an NFL football. They're more raised on a college football. Um, so there's some definite differences there. I think that's just a feel thing. I think that's something that, you know, once Comes he's – Yeah, once he's got a few weeks or months of getting used to throwing an NFL football, I'm sure he'll get the – the tightness back to his spirals and all that thing. But that was, that's funny you point that out because I noticed that. I think I'd saw a few people on Twitter make comments about him throwing ducks and stuff. But yeah. at the end of the day, the, the balls were getting to the receivers and the receivers were catching the balls in those same clips. So <laughs> I guess yeah. it's not too bad. You know, Peyton Manning, do you all remember Peyton Manning? Peyton Manning threw a terrible football. He never threw spirals. If you ever Laser go back and like, watch, yeah, if you go back and watch, Peyton Manning back in his like Indianapolis days. Get that and, wobble going. Yeah, man. None of his passes were cl- they were right on target, but they were wobbly as hell. So hey, I'll take a quarterback that throws a wobbly football as long as it gets where it needs to be at the end of the day. The, I just the, the I'm places. like they're putting the best footage they have out there, and every one of these passes looks funky. So I was just a little concerned. <laughs> the the thing about it though is like when you're when you're talking about a perfect spiral, the only time you really need a perfect spiral is when you're throwing the short pass that you need it tight and you need it in a seam. Yeah. Like, you know, across that, you know, you got, you got Hayden Hurst coming across the seam. You need to hit him in the chest with a tight spiral. Right. But you I don't throw necessarily a need every to have time. a tight spiral. Just saying. <laughs> yeah. I'm 100%. Yeah. A, a 100% nerf football. On that. 
That's about it, right? Yes, sir. Or a hutch. I can launch a hutch. <laughs> Knock your head no, off. I do think, I mean, there is definitely some importance to throw in a clean football. You know, you're, you're putting a little bit more pressure on the receivers to catch a duck than it if a ball is coming in clean. Um, but at the end of the day, you know, that's that's the wide receiver's job is that's, to make <laughs> catches. That's probably why Hurst dropped the call. He's probably like, I want to drop that if this guy wasn't throwing ducks at me all day. That's <laughs> <laughs> yeah, probably true. <laughs> oh man but this was a lot of fun man i'm uh i'm glad you uh you came back so just so everybody out there kind of knows moving forward uh, ryan's gonna be with us kind of on a uh maybe a once a month type basis or you know when we do our bigger shows and that kind of thing um maybe even when we have some guests on the show that type of thing so uh it's fun having you back as always ryan oh uh, yeah man yeah man oh yeah Fun as always. So you guys got anything left for them or anything you want to go through? Nothing really on my end. Caps are losing. It's dumb. That's all I got. What's the score on the game? Three to one. Four to one. Three to Oh, it's four to one and they scored uh, Yeah. Four to one, yeah. That's all right. We'll bounce back. Bounce back on Thursday, hopefully. But yeah, so Mm. Yeah. Go ahead. Don't forget to uh, do everything. Share us, like us on Facebook, follow us on YouTube at Birdland BS. Check us out on Twitter. Make sure you're interacting with us. You know, we want to get you guys involved in the show. Uh, we we we'd like to add a segment of the show where we're at we're answering um, you know fans' questions and things of that nature. So the more interactive you are with us, the you know the more that you help us with our show and uh, help things grow. So that's it for. We forgot one thing. What's that? We're bringing back a segment. Oh, yeah, that's right. I did forget. Wow. It's been so long. Yeah, so bringing uh, back this last segment that we close out the show with, Ryan and I had started uh, a few months ago and kind of got got away from doing. Uh, Yeah, let's roll into it. Two-minute warning. (laughs) All right, Fred. It's time for the two-minute warning. All right. I'm ready. And you're going to be on the clock starting now. All right. So I thought this was kind of an interesting tidbit of information. Yesterday, May 14th, 2018, marked the 20th anniversary of the Seinfeld finale. I don't know if you guys ever watched it. 20 years old makes me feel really, really old for one. Uh, but I love the episode where Buck was on there. I was going to say sports reference with Buck. There's right, with Buck on there as, as, a, as a Yankee manager. Pretty cool. In uh, big news and something that we'll probably get into next week, sports gambling, now legal nationwide. Uh, I've got many opinions on this, and we will dive further into that. Golden State Warriors... Take a 1-0 series lead in the Western Conference Finals over the Houston Rockets, 119-106. Can James Harden bounce back, or will it be another choke year, just like last year for good old Harden? (coughs) (laughs) 
Seattle Mariners superstar Robinson Cano suspended for 80 games after testing positive for what they classify as PEDs. Turns out it's a diuretic that he's been taking for a while, so I'm sure there's going to be some appeals and, you know, things going on with that. Things going on with that. The Phoenix Suns win the lottery for the top overall pick in next year's NBA draft. Uh, Always liked the Suns when I was a kid, so kind of cool to see them get the top pick. Yeah, Uh, Hugh Jackson. He's taking the plunge June 1st. The Cleveland Bounds coach will take a dive into Lake Erie after coming up short on his promise from 2016 of not repeating a 1-15 season. Well, he didn't repeat it. Ended up a little worse at 0-16. So uh, him and some of the employees, I think, are taking a dive into Lake Erie. Uh, Steelers minority owner David Tepper is expected to sign a deal today to buy the Carolina Panthers. The plan is to keep them in Carolina a whopping $2.2 billion. The last team sold with the Bills in 2014 for a record high $1.4. Almost got it in. Almost got it in. Almost got it in. That's pretty, pretty good. Yeah, it was fun. I haven't done the chocolate and warning in forever. I missed it, Ryan. Yeah, man. It's good stuff. Classic. <laughs> Robbie Cano will be back. Yeah, but no, we, we definitely next week, we need to dive into the whole – we had already kind of had the show planned out prior to the announcement of – gambling uh being legalized i really do have some serious opinions on that and something that i was going to do an instant reaction video to but a two minute clip doesn't do enough justice for as much as i want to kind of get into that so that's something yeah. that we will uh we will get into next week for sure i'm sure ryan and i know you've probably got some opinions on that too i know you're uh, um not a betting guy but i mean you know i know you you dabble at the casinos so uh just a little yeah, bit. Maybe a Nothing crazy. little bit of a gambling thing there. So <laughs> I'm sure you've got an opinion on it one way or the other. But again, like I, I said, like us on all the things. Share us. Follow us at Birdland BS, Facebook, Instagram, Snapchat. YouTube. All you all those things. YouTube. We're we're out there. Follow us. Find us. For Birdland BS, I'm Fred. I'm Scott. I'm Ryan. We'll see you guys. Hey.